Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I'll be your host for this episode of Secure Talk. Today, we're going to be talking to Des Rock, who is the CEO and founder of SeamMonster. And we're going to be talking to Des about some of the pro bono work she did for an attorney in a very high-profile case. We're going to be talking to Des about how she got into the cybersecurity space and why cybersecurity needs to be more financially accessible and some other things. But before we do that, let's say hi to Des. Des, how are you today? Uh, good, thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me on. Hey, my pleasure. And from what I understand, you're based in Texas, but you're in New York at this point. Is that right? That's correct. We actually, we started in New York with Techstars in 2018, but COVID pushed us out and I had to actually go back to Australia for a while. But now as I've rebased in the US, I've decided to pick Dallas, Texas. Well, that's an amazing journey right there. And I'm just curious because from what I understand during COVID, Australia was locked down pretty tightly. Now, oh, yes, very much. And it's a good thing that we've been a remote workforce before the pandemic hit, which held us in good stead. Great. Hey, I want to talk about the the Adnan Siad case and the work that you did for Rabia Chaudhry. Yeah. But before we do that, maybe you could just talk a little bit about what Seam Monster does, and that would set the stage for what you actually did for the attorney in the case. Brilliant. Except the work with Rabia Chowdhury and the with in that regards happened before Sea Monster was born. Before Sea Monster was born, we had a company called Custodian and we were professional hackers, which is our background. So we are definitely red team professionals and have been for over 20 years. We pivoted to blue team solutions after one of our clients asked for a solution because they kept getting done over every time we did a pen test and they were thinking there's got to be something to protect us and so we looked around on the market way back when and found Splunk and then the pricing of Splunk took everyone by surprise and they asked whether we'd be interested in developing a product using open source product open source software which is how Seamonster was born and we honestly thought at that time Seamonster was going to be an annex to pen testing we were a red team but uh, we've grown to the point now that it's become our main focus and we've decided that there is a need for someone like us to bring the integrity of a red team specialist uh, into this space. So that's how that started. As far as our involvement with Serial and Adnan Syed and that whole case, I was an avid podcast listener back then and a fan of This American Life, which is where Serial bounced from. And listening to the podcast, I became involved and I was online and was reading the uh, the blog in which the lawyer, Rabia Chowdhury, who's got a, a brilliant presence and her own podcast now as well, and has had for many years. And she was saying online that she was getting hacked. Her blog was getting hacked and she was having a hard time with security. And so I'd reached out to her. And it's funny because I reached out to her and introduced myself saying, listen, I am Chris Rock's wife. <laughs> and <laughs> That got her attention, I'm sure. But I didn't realize that she was going to think about the wrong Chris Rock because Chris Rock, who's my wife and co-founder, by the way, is a well-known hacker in the industry. And if you Google Chris Rock and you must put hacker at the end of it because you'll get the wrong one, you will actually see several of the DEF CON talks that he has done and the security acumen that he brings to the industry. 
So that's the leverage in which I had introduced myself. And I had said, we run a penetration testing company. You know, where I'm really happy to help because this is quite a serious thing. This is a breach of the freedom of speech, right, is being impended here. And I just thought that's just wrong. And pro bono, we helped her stay online and helped her voice remain consistent throughout that whole journey. So and was, yes, was, was, was that the only kind of attacks that she was encountering was attacks on her blog? Or was there were there other attempts to, for example, email compromise or anything like that? So, yeah, there was. I remember that we actually supported her and advised her on how to look after herself in that regards. But one of the things that really cemented this for us is because her blog had been up for years, right? And back in the day, it was called Split the Moon. I'm not sure if it's still around right now. But we also co-hosted a event in Baltimore called A Night for Justice. And it was a fundraiser as well as getting everybody who was involved in the case who had volunteered with the case in the same room. It was an idea that I thought that was that needed to happen. So I was involved with that. By this stage, Ravi and I had become friends as well throughout the course of this journey. And we had, I was hosting the event website, which had been up for what, a week? And that website had the attacks of what I would say a small to medium bank would see. At that point, I, we, I knew, we all knew that this was being targeted. And the only reason that website, that event went through is because all of a sudden, we were, because of, we decided to, hey, let's just help this person with their freedom of speech. Next thing we're holding an event website, all of a sudden, my team were up for days, literally counterattacking and killing down all the attacks that were happening and bouncing around the world because our name was attached to this. So it became a lot bigger. And it's a very unknown story as well on what was involved to how that cybersecurity was definitely involved in that case. Yeah. So yeah, what you're talking about sounds like a kind of a politically motivated attack. And I'm wondering how common is this for somebody that, you know, in a high profile case or whether they're in government or they're doing something in business and there's obviously opposition to their stance or their activities. How common now is it for people instead of attacking them in the press or politically going after them to just go after them in a, to attack their security? Very common, Mark, very. I think that uh, we're harping onto the stories of what we, that I can tell you back in the day when we were, we did this full time. And I can tell you that it's very common to attack and everybody does it. And it's probably the most unspoken thing out there because we all like to stand by integrity that we all play fair, but that's not what we saw. So for people in those kind of positions, what do you recommend? Get yourself a very good security, cybersecurity team to protect you. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that sounds, I don't know, people have bodyguards and in, in, in personal security. And so what you're saying is you just need to add to the team. There's no um, difference. It's like buying a house, right? And making sure, and then saying, look, there's a lot of thieves around here. What I'll do is I'll trust the universe because everyone should be good. And everyone on social media says they're good. I won't put locks on the door. That's not going to happen. So if you've got a presence online and you need to mind your integrity, you definitely need cybersecurity to support that. Because we all know even defacing a website, which is nothing by the way, defacing a website is not where we're at. We're up to, there's far more insidious things that hacker can do to, to compromise your integrity online. So yeah, protection, get protection, just like physical security. So back to Rabia's case, were you able to figure out actually who these people were? It's not something that I'm going to comment about at all, at all. 
Okay. But we're hackers. What do you think? Yeah, I have no idea. I'm not a hacker. Maybe we could back up a little bit. You referenced a red team and blue team. For the sake of our listeners and for me, could you explain the difference? Certainly. Red team is known as attack and blue team is defense in the space of cybersecurity. Red team known as penetration testers in the commercial world and the real world. They're also known as hackers, which we use interchangeably because we performed as hackers. We there's a lot of there was a big difference between the way we did business and anybody else because we didn't turn off between nine to five and clock out. Our tiger team attacked and used all methods, which is exactly what a hacker would do. So we would mimic, not mimic, we were hackers. So that's exactly the way we uh, we did our work. And blue team is known as defense. So blue team is to protect and to make sure that the red team don't get in. That's exactly how it's coded in the industry. So I guess with Seamonster, that's the one thing that makes us unique is that we are red team professionals that's created a blue team product. Okay. And maybe we can go even further back. And how did you get your start in the cybersecurity space? As I mentioned with the one client that we had before that, we were running, I'm one of the very rare people that are married to their co-founders. I think the only person that I can think of that's also been like this in history is Cisco. They were husband and wife as well, <clears throat> way back in the day. And I'm still looking for more. So if there's anyone out there that has more references, let me know. But we've always been working together. Chris has the security background. I have the business and marketing and, and I guess the leadership as well, yeah. Okay. And, okay, so what I'm trying to go back in the day, you, we were talking before the show, and it, you mentioned that you have an interesting story about that involves your co-founder and husband, Chris Rock, but the other Chris Rock as well. Yes. Yes. When I think it was last year, Chris was getting alerts on his American Airlines app about tickets and check-ins that he was five minutes or 15 minutes to go to the gate and it was this game. And we were wondering what was going on and Chris being Chris and his occupation, null hazard, looked into it and realised that American Airlines had tied Chris Rock European tour <laughs> to my husband's Chris Rock American Airlines account. So we were getting all of his gates, all of his information, where he was going to be at hopefully, that time. Hopefully his upgrades as well. Hey. So we actually got all of his points that he had accumulated as well. And we sat on that for a really long time, knowing that if we went public with this, because of the occupation we're in, no one was going to believe that this actually landed in our lap. People were going to assume that we hacked in and did it ourselves, but that was not the case. So we waited for enough time to go past and uh, just left it. But we did protect his privacy. Like we did not let anybody know where he was, what plane he was like. That was just because secret keeping is our business. So even if it's landed in our lap accidentally, it wasn't something we were going to breach. In the show notes, there's a reference that says why cybersecurity needs to be more financially access accessible. Can you talk a little bit about that? Certainly. I suppose that brings to why we started with Seamonster in the first place, because Splunk was highly un unaffordable by most organizations, and there weren't that many players in the Steam field looking for monitoring software. Just like the lock on the door analogy I gave for the house, um, doesn't matter if your house is a mansion or a shack by the beach, it still deserves to be secure and protected. So that's why I say that security ought not to be gatekept by financial hills. 
Okay. Do you have any ideas on how to make it more accessible? Yeah, Your services very... cost money, technology costs money. Correct. And so it's about how much and leveraging all of that. And I suppose that's exactly the the heart and soul in which we started this. Because remember, we had a flourishing and very well-established career doing what we were doing. But we saw the niche in the market requiring monitoring software that was cost-effective and affordable for those who needed it. And I, that really brings to the core of us. So we just thought that this really needs to be out there. Everyone's trying to rip everybody off with their services. So we focused in on the technology and the design that helped us streamline as much as we can. Absolutely. Of course you have to pay for it, but that's all. It doesn't matter even if it's what you're still going to have to pay, but it's how much you're paying and who you're paying and what, you know, what you're paying. It's like, that's the difference that we need to, that hopefully that we've addressed. And t tell me a little bit about your technology. So we are, we started off being open source and that's exactly where we started because we were asked to do this. Remember we were thrusted into this and we saw like most entrepreneurs, you see a problem and then you find a solution and then, and you present it to the world. But we've then decided that uh, integrity is where we need to stand with the backing of security at all times. So we did a lot of research and a lot of started to own a lot of these products to make sure that we control them so they can be secure and we recently we're just about to launch version 5 which is completely cloud-based now and will be available on aws marketplace but uh and we're the only product that's also the other thing like a lot of people will hide behind contact us and we'll tell you the prices you know that tactic i'm sure you're familiar with that in this industry no one's transparent. We knocked that out from day one. We wanted to be transparent with prices. We're still transparent. Like you can go try us out on AWS Marketplace right now and know exactly how much you're paying per hour but right just, now. No, no one else is doing that. Tell me what what it does and why Certainly. is it better than any anything else on the market? Certainly. So we, because of the way it's designed, what we do is we're monitoring software, right? So we're a SIEM, security information event management software. And so that's just collecting of data. But what we also do is soil capabilities as well. So we enrich that data with thing, known vectors, like known hacker attacks, known viruses and things like that, and provide you with the information. And we're working on XDR, which allows automation as well. So now your SOC team or your security analysts not only can see events, incidences which become events once that happens something happens but you can now put rules in place so that can automate that task for you and then alert you when that's done that was actually used by one of our customers recently a very large hospital who had phishing attacks or what were they a ransomware attacks that we our software shut down knew what it was and shut it down before it actually took effect. And our software, sorry, our, our client actually told us of that story and and I definitely wanted to hear about that. So I actually spoke to them and, and it's a really, really interesting story where we're doing that. Whereas as a lot of people are suffering with soft ransomware and targeted and things targeted by viruses and things like that. And they have software, but they're all using Gartner Quadrant, Magic Quadrant software but they're still getting hacked. And yet here we are, not in the Gartner Magic Quadrant, which is a paper play platform, I'll say that. And here we are protecting where others are failing, but they do have better marketing, Mark. Okay, so I was gonna ask you, cause it is, depending on how you look at it, could be a somewhat crowded market. There are other Sims out there, there are other swords. Mm. And I gotta ask, when you go in and talk to a new prospect, what are the questions and concerns that are top of mind for them? And how do you differentiate Sim Monster? Sure. So the one of the things that they do come, if they've already used the SIEM, what they'll know is that they had to pick and choose what to protect because it's all cost-based, so they cannot cover every endpoint. And we think 
come on, just think about that. That's lock, putting a lock on the front door, but I can't afford to put one on the back. So that's not security. <clears throat> so we do not price per endpoint. We will allow you to encapsulate everything so you can protect everything because if you're not protecting everything, then you are not security. And that's the number one differentiator between us and our competitors. The second thing is that who we are. Like I said, we are a red team. We know exactly how to get in. So you bet we know how to stop people getting in as well. And I'm curious, when you do red team engagements, what are the mm. questions that your prospective customers ask you? Because I, yeah, I can just imagine a CISO going, all right, I've got three different vendors mm. here who all say they have a lot of red team experience. Yes. What, can, what are they asking you and what do you tell them that allows them to have confidence in you other than the fact that you've been doing this for 20 years? I don't know of anybody else saying that. I'd love to, but I, the other thing is that when we were and when we were doing penetration testing, a lot of people saying, well, I use XYZ, right? So again, one of the Gartner quadrant people. And why would I want you? Why would I pick you? And I tell them what I mentioned to you before is that because we act like hackers, not pen testers. A pen tester will pen test between five and nine to five and then tools down and come back the next day. That's never what we did. We didn't stop till we got in and there wasn't a organization in which we did not get in. And we've been working worldwide, governments, banks, military, you name it. So that's what makes us different. Do you go as far as social engineering? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Because every, any tool that you can think of, we used at our disposal. Absolutely. The weakest link within the organization will often be someone letting somebody else in without a, in a, with, without the security card, right? Walking in with two cups of coffee and asking someone to hold the door open. Yeah, I was it's just going to ask you about physical security. Yeah. Could you give a couple examples of social engineering attacks or similar to the walking in with two cups of coffee? Can you give a couple examples that, that caught your customers off guard? Oh, exactly that one that I mentioned. Sending CDs. In the, one of our customers had asked for people to send in CDs of auditions. So we did exactly that and put a virus on it. But that's exactly what they were expecting. That's so As in, mean. You know, That's terrible. Well, you see the difference between <laughs> us and pen testers, though? Oh, we, absolutely. We, so we will actually analyze who the players are. We will actually look into their backgrounds. And look, most of the time, what used to happen is that we would present this report. And the biggest issue, the one that's not being discussed, is the disjoint between pen reports and what the board sees. Because I cannot tell you the amount of times we've been asked to change our report. So it's board friendly, mm -hmm. I think that means. Yeah, no, that's that, that's really interesting. So let me ask you, if you were to come in and advise a the CEO of a company or the CISO of a large company, because yeah. the CEO is on the board and the CISO has got the you know that frontline responsibility, yeah. and you say, hey, here are just before even talking with you, here are three things that you need to do to secure your operations. What would they be? Listen to your CISO. Because so half the times the security people in organizations are afraid to actually tell the actual position, the posture of their organization because they're going to lose their job and it does happen, right? So listen to them, put it a safe space where if there is a fault, if there is a flaw that they can actually bring it to the table, it's better we tell you than you being hacked and the world tells you. That's the number one issue because a lot of the boards do not want to hear that they're vulnerable. So at all. They don't even want to hear it. I've had people ask me for reports in cafes sent to their Hotmail address back when there was Hotmail. So 
anything except an official acceptance of the ball of the results. So the first thing I would say is, if you've employed a security specialist, trust them and listen to them. And I follow that with a caveat saying that security needs to be highly regulated as well, because we do have charlatans in, in our industry as well, posing, pretending they know, and they don't. But that's number one. Number two would be change up your security penetration testing. Like if you're getting the same company doing it year after year because you're obligated to it and you're running a smooth, clean run, change it up. At least every two years, three years, that's the other thing I would say. Thirdly, I would say do not rely on Google to tell you what the best security software is because all you're relying is other people, articles that have been paid to play out there that's telling you the truth, or you're relying on Gartner. And the only way to get on Gartner and ask me how I know this is to pay them money so they can assess you to put you up there and call you a Gartner Quadrant product. It's a pay-to-play platform. So the fact that you're hey, welcome, welcome to America and, and, and capitalism gone crazy. Oh, but, right, but Mark, <laughs> a lot of people don't know that. There's a very famous saying in our industry: nobody gets fired for, or exactly for buying a, for getting a Gartner Quadrant product. Nobody gets right. fired for doing it. There's a reason for that because we blindly trust what everyone else is doing. There's Google searches like, what's everyone else using? What's the best this? What's the best? Those articles are read, written by other people marketing their own product. It's called content so, marketing. It's exactly a whole industry right. among itself. And exactly then you, you right. type in what are the best running shoes for trail running and you get the the first 20 results or they're all st something that a marketing person created and they'll do these Correct. lists, top 10 running shoes. And with links to them a lot of times, because it's pretty obvious, because then if you click on that link and then buy, they get their affiliate commission or their, it's the actual manufacturer of the shoe promoting the article. And, and then you go over to Facebook and immediately, oh, guess what? You get an ad from that shoe company. Correct. <laughs> and How of course embarrassing is it for us yeah. who are in cybersecurity that we don't know that? You asked about social engineering. You asked, that is social engineering. Asking and waiting for somebody to Google what is the best monitoring software and then reading an article that the monitoring software themselves put up is social engineering. How do, you, how do you, as the person who's responsible for sales marketing and business development in your CEO role in a startup, how do you get around all that? I suppose we're trying to cut through that noise by showing the integrity we have. And so that's why we pursue, or I start with the line saying that we are cybersecurity professionals with 20 years of experience and that we take security seriously. So how do we get people to look our product up until recently had zero marketing. It was all word of mouth because in the tech industry, those who had downloaded our product loved it and told the next person and the next person and the next person. My difficult challenge here is jumping from the tech to exec. Execs are a different breed and they have a different mindset. They want to use what everyone else is using and they're not listening to tech. But there are buttons that um, can be pushed. For example, cost. That's something Correct. that, yes. Yeah, so a lot of times your security specialist will say, we need this one because of this. And then the CFO will be like, God, that's pretty expensive. Or your procurement guy will be like, I don't know. Is, right. do, you, do, you, do you speak their language when it comes to that? Absolutely. Oh, we don't need to. The last time before, when the pandemic hit, we found a lot of people switching from big competitors to us because they were literally looking for cost-effective solutions, which is brilliant. I expect now, with especially now that we're launching and I'm making a, a marketing effort, I expect now the same thing to happen with the economic condition we find ourselves in. 
regardlessly. I think they're going to come looking for us regardlessly. Yeah. Okay. So tell me a little bit about your team, both on the red team side, but also on the the SIM side and how you develop it and deploy and so on. First of all, we're a remote workforce and which brings for great equal opportunity working because we don't care what you look like or where you are. We we just go on skill-based. So our that that speaks loudly to our system design. Our lead solutions engineer is the Wozniak of our group, and SeaMonster is basically his brainchild that that we're putting down on paper, and he is the visionary. Of course, we have a team of people making it come true around him, but he also has years and years of uh, red team hacking experience. So that's the marriage between the red and the blue in our team and how we are doing it. It really is, as most things, most good, most good products, it really does come down to one person's vision and insight. Yeah. Yeah, but what I like, though, is you referenced that your remote workforce and right. it allows for you to have kind of a really diverse team. Absolutely. And in the show notes, saw something about valuing neurodiversity on your team. Yeah. So could you talk a little bit about that? It's no secret that people in tech are probably one of the most, if you did how many neurodiverse people in tech, I think you would find... A lot, I don't know the percentage, but we all know it's a lot, lot, lot more than in any other industry, for example. But also, especially in startup, especially as founders, we're out there. We're definitely out there. When we get to starting, having an idea and starting is one thing, but starting a business and making sure that the business is running is a completely other thing. And keeping neurodiverse people comfortable, secure, happy is an art form in itself. And that's one of the, and because most of the people I know, especially coders, especially programmers, developers, they just want to be left alone to do their own thing. And that's what a remote workforce allows them to do as well. So there's no coming in the Dilbert thing, coming into a cubicle and facing up because management want to see your face to make sure that you're doing something. How do you balance the letting people alone and just do their own thing with the fact that you do need to at some point be a cohesive team? How do you manage yeah. that? Well, we've been doing this since 2017, right? So we are a cohesive team. I think we've, what we've managed is that to be able to measure output and skill without being in the same room. And that is an art form in itself. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. Do you have any advice in that area? Certainly. It, it comes down to communication and the changing communication because we're all used to literally seeing somebody at their desk and thinking that person's working. Well, you and I both know that's not true. Otherwise, every teacher with a student with a laptop or in an auditorium thinks that a student's working. We know that ain't happening. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that doesn't mean anything. So how do we measure output? And it's about finding the way, whatever your industry is, whatever you do, finding a way to measure that output and then putting parameters around that. Clearly, there are people who want to work for remote workforces and then do no work. I think that <laughs> the amount of the, the, that's very clear, right? And it's not to say that we haven't had those experiences either. However, they're not hard to pinpoint, like they're very easy to find. So there's no hiding from us that you're not doing any work at all. Interesting. What do you look for when you're hiring? Because oftentimes the interview process is done remotely as well. That's right. And, and you can look really good on a CV or resume, but how do you, that's you know, right. How do you dig into it and say, hey, this is a person that would be a good fit for us? I think it's like anything else. I think that everyone will, you know, th that speaks to the system of the interviewing process and what we put on CVs. We all lie. We all embellish. And it's like dating with your Tinder profile, right? You put the best out there and then a couple of dates in, we all know who you are, right? 
So, I don't know what Tinder is. I, I don't know what I've it is. Heard, I've heard. I'm happily married. I've heard on the streets, right? The point is that it's really hard to maintain that facade if it's not you, if it's not genuinely you. So for starters, that within a month or so, everything will come out in the wash. We will know who you are, what you stand for, what your work ethic is. You're not going to be able to get away with lying for inevitably. And if you can, let's no longer lie. It's a skill set, right? There's that. But how do we interview? All interviews go through my tech team to interview them for their tech, technical know-how. Then the final interview is with me. What I'm looking for is a corporate fit and corporate culture. I really don't care what you look like. I remember one of my staff members when we were at a booth said, "Is it? do I do you want me to wear long sleeves because he thought he had to hide his tattoos and things like that for presentation? And I said, I really do not care what you look like. What I care is the skill you bring and I will always back you. On that and that's the organization we are so that's what I'm looking for is the corporate fit I'm the last port of call before we hire and I'm making sure that you've got the right attitude awesome. and then, by the way it doesn't mean I always get it right but it's not that long after that I realized that this was like I said it's the three-month rule you'll mm -hmm. know in three months yeah yeah, hiring is what probably one of the most important things we can do as in a, a leader it's also one of the most challenging, and I think the three-month rule is great. In my experience, you can usually see in the first couple of weeks. Oh, absolutely. Uh, if, yeah, yeah. What happens, though, is we try to give people the benefit of the doubt, and and we wanted ourselves that we made a good decision, and we painfully go along for those three months, and really what happens is if they're not, if they're not doing what they need to do in the first couple of weeks, it's probably not going to work out. But hey, that's just my idea or thoughts there. Last question, and then I want to come back to what's what's planned for Sea Monster going forward. But I mentioned or earlier asked you about tips for executives. How about individuals? Because we started off this conversation where you were helping to protect Rabia Chowdhury. What about other individuals out there, just members or head of households or students? What should what are the top two or three things that they should be doing to protect themselves? Mm. Uh, Two-factor authentication, start mm -hmm. with that, manager. And those are really good. I think I've wiped out most of the concerns by just having those and probably a VPN as well. So when you're traveling, especially as if you're traveling as much as I, do not connect to any Wi-Fi that is that you are not paying for as a golden rule. So if you're at an airport, if you're at a conference, if you're at whatever, do not connect to any Wi-Fi that you are not paying for. And hotels don't count. So even okay. if I would use a VPN. <laughs> Why not? Because Why shouldn't I use one... the Starbucks Wi-Fi? Oh, because you need to visit DEF CON just once to realize that there's a wall of shame there because people, and DEF CON is the biggest, largest cybersecurity hacking event in, in, in the world, I'd say. It happens in Las Vegas every year. And there's a wall, world of sh wall of shame there of people who have been compromised because they've attached themselves to the Wi-Fi. So there's people out there literally spoofing Wi-Fi points and capturing your data. That's what they do. If you don't want to be hacked, you don't trust anything, not Starbucks, not McDonald's, not a wife airport lounge, not anything. Some great advice. Hey, does what's, what is Sim Monster going to be doing over the next uh, three, six, nine, 12 months? We are very excited to launch V5 because that is redesigning from the ground up. It's really positioning ourselves of who we are, who we've always been but have just taken our time to get there because we wanted to do it right. Um, the following, and you know what, as much as I'm excited about V5, and it is bloody great to use my Aussie language there, the, what's coming up down the pipeline with a lot of our automation and AI and XDR is just as exciting. So I guess watch this space. 
Excellent. Hey, Des, really enjoyed the conversation. Appreciate your energy and congratulations on your success. Thank you so much for being on Secure Talk. Thank you for having me. Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance.